Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the chance of super soldiers busting down your door on the rise, insurance is just as tasty and sweet as a Turkish delight coming from a nice-seeming baron. That's why this week's episode of Everything is Super is brought to you by Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. world outside your window may not be great. In fact, it might be downright dark. But here, everything is Falcon great as we're talking all things the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Hello, everybody. Mike Bloom here back to talk about episode four, the two thirds point of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And man, this 66 percent has been eventful, to say the least. We're here to talk about everything that just happened in The Whole World is Watching. Hopefully, The Whole World is listening to this as well, as I am joined by somebody who is bursting through these doors, super soldier style, to talk about everything from this episode. Of course, the great Kevin Mahadayo. Kevin, how you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm bursting through the door and just being like, is it, is it, Mike? Is everything Falcon super great here right now? Because it ain't feeling like it, Mike. <laughs> yeah, listen, uh, I think the streaks of blood that are just streaked across our microphones right now <laughs> might show everything's not Falcon great. And everything might not be uh, Falcon great in that we are unfortunately missing uh, one of our team members this week. Much like in the, the show proper, the trio has come down to a duo. Latanya oh, Starks no. is not able to join us uh, this week week she's up she's off in madripoor doing power broker things she was the power broker the entire time uh but that don't tracks. lose don't <laughs> lose your head she'll be back to talk and we have certainly have her thoughts about this episode as well that i will certainly want to pepper throughout this episode because there's a lot to get into this this was oh, a, yes. this this was a big one uh in so many ways and look let, let me just start with the thing that got the entire internet, including our listenership, talking. And I think we can build out from there. We even just alluded to it. And let me throw out uh, a pretty big question to you, Kevin. Is the final scene, final minute of this episode, the darkest moment in the MCU so far? Um... Man, you know, I did. I don't know. The, the the snap is pretty dark, right? When you when you look into that, uh, it's a pretty pretty dark moment. Uh, Wanda's parents is pretty dark. Mm. I think there's some darkness in the MCU. The most shocking moment, I think, um, a very, um, if you just take an image, is it the most like off putting image and the mm. darkest image of the MCU? Yes. I think that is safe to say that shot of him, you know, uh, looking up that camera down style, right? 
uh, which is, I think, a purposeful camera technique to make someone look bad at that intimidating, overbearing uh, angle uh, with the blood on the shield. I think that shot is probably the darkest shot in the MCU, yes. Yeah, I mean, I might go so far as to say, and look, we have two episodes in this series has proved that anything can happen, but I do think this is going to be, like, one of the things people remember from this show, right? In a weird way, this is the Falcon and the Winter Soldier's Agatha all along, in that this is going to be... <laughs> Something that I think maybe even transcends the show when it comes to talking about these very visceral images. Yeah, for sure. And I think I think it does a good job in that regard, right? It does something shocking. It does something like, to an extent, game changing. Not uh, it's it, we can discuss game changing in terms of viewership, but uh, is it certainly game changing in the in the world of the MCU? Right? You got people videotaping Captain America, yeah, um, m- murdering someone basically. Uh, which is uh, intense, um, to say the least. I have feelings, un- unsurprisingly, <laughs> I have feelings about this entire development, about you know the the direction that this that this goes. Um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts first yeah. before I before I do my usual, you know, like <laughs> hey, oh oh weird, who put this soapbox here? Yeah, I mean, it's God. It is so incredibly gut wrenching. Yet I am so, I don't know, inspired by the audacity. It's a weird turn of phrase, but I I almost appreciate it. I don't necessarily need the MCU to go like full Game of Thrones with just showing brutality. But I think something that we were expecting from this show and something we, we liked about this show was not necessarily shying away from hard truths. And I think that, you know, hard truths were showcased in this episode in so many ways. And so I, I do think that this final scene, first of all, it absolutely cements that, like, John Walker is a capital B bad person. Because uh, despite the complexities that I think he was given earlier in this episode, which we can certainly get into, Captain America never murdered anyone. Or at least he didn't murder someone in the way of, like, hey, I'm going to corner you and bash you on my shield relentlessly. Uh, it was more so like, a, hey, I happened to break your neck while I was fighting you Batman style. You know, right, this- or in World War II, he was like shooting people, which is, right. again, World War II and Nazis. Um, but yes, right, like Captain America, this is different. It's not like it's not like it's in the middle of a combat. This is someone who basically has surrendered. This is someone who you have cornered. And it's, um, and it's not and- even the person who committed the deed, right? Because our assumption is that, like, he was already aggro from the super soldier serum, but the, the death of Lamar Hoskins was what pushed him into overdrive. That was all Carly. He just happened to find the only flag smasher he could get his mitts on and then said, like, I don't care. He even th- That guy, I think his name is Nico, even says, like, I didn't do it. I'm not the one who did it. And he basically says, I don't care. You're a flag smasher right now. I'm seeing red, white and blue. And then just I mean, it, it's a really fun uh, I cannot keep using fun in such an odd way, but Latanya points this out in in one of our her notes here that she sends to us is that the way that Walker goes about with this murder is a really interesting mirroring of the end of Civil War, right? Where you have Cap with the shield in Siberia. Uh, ironically enough, Zemo is there in that scene. He's not here in this instance, uh, but he brings down the shield and he basically has a choice, right? Like he can he can really decapitate Tony Stark if he wants to, right there. But instead, he uh, he just, you know, destabilizes him by going for the arc reactor. John Walker does not do that. John Walker, as 
Thanos told Thor once upon a time, and maybe Captain Walker was inspired by that. He went for the head. Uh, and so it, it it's something, you know, a flash of how, and this was talked about earlier in the episode, right? That, like, Steve Rogers seems to be one of those rare people who took the, the power of the super soldier serum and was not corrupted by it because, as Erskine told him back in the first Avenger, he was a, a quote-unquote good person. This just showcases how not all caps are going to necessarily abide by those circumstances. Uh, so, I mean, there's there's so much in that last minute. And to your point, I do consider it a game changer as well in that, you know, some people may complain that the MCU might be sanitized through the, the mouse machine, as it were, to be like, well, you can do some dark things like the snap, but you can't go to OTT because you got to market to your PG-13 audiences. This was incredibly intense. And I... You know, I don't know if we're going to go like full Frank Miller killing joke stuff, but it makes me intrigued by how much more mature types of contact, violence and themes through violence can be conquered in the franchise from here on out. Yeah. um, Yes. This level of violence is unexpected. It's funny because like when watching this, you know, my fiance and I were talking and she made the comparison that this show more than WandaVision and um, for better or worse actually feels like the Netflix shows. Mm -hmm. It feels really close in scope almost to a Netflix show. This is actually very comparable to like the end of what episode four of Daredevil where Wilson Wilson Fisk just like brains a guy by slamming a car door, door, right? Yeah. Obviously like that stuff I think is more violent, but this definitely hit that level to it. But even like the production quality here is much higher, but I do think, you know, if if we just want to hit that real quick, I do think the plot of certainly season one of Daredevil and season one of Jessica Jones is stronger than what we're being faced with here. I think this mm. one's a little more straightforward. Like mm. we basically have hit all the notes that we thought were going to happen. Right. From episode one in the preview show that we thought we were going to head towards. They're here. Um, so, but the, the way it was done visually, I think is really strong. I think you're right. Like the, the, it is exactly a mirror of that moment. There is a lot here to unpack in terms of like, the pathos in the character, because I do think this was really, there's a lot of points that were brought up in this episode. The idea of being a super soldier has supremacy roots. And once again, I do think Zemo has a point. Yeah. Um, you know, this, this Zemo, I think again, is still completely different from the one that I encountered in civil war. I like both of them. I yeah. like both of them a lot, but they're different people. But this version that we're watching, I do really like because they bring up a lot of good points. And there is an idea, if you look at Carly, if you look at um, Red Skull, if you look at John Walker, these are all people who want the, who want the serum because they have this idea of, I'm the best to do this. I need to be doing this. You know, it, th- mm-hmm. there is a self-importance to them that they had, you know, um, Red Skull is the extreme. We talked about that. Like he, he is, he is someone who has the ego where Steve did not. Um, and you have Carly who's just like, I can lead this, this group. I can, you know, lead this revolution. And you have John who's basically just like, I've been chosen because of my abilities. I can do this. Steve didn't really have any of that. <laughs> like nope. he didn't have the ego. He technically wasn't chosen, chosen the way everyone else was right. Like he was, picked by someone else. He didn't think he was even worthy for this to begin with. So there's a lot in there that separates Steve from, from everyone else here. And that is what makes him unique. I think that's what made him um, the hero that he ended up being. And 
with John, they obviously are going for something different. Totally. Right. Like it's very clear, especially with this ending, this contrast to Steve, we talked about it. What happens when you have someone who was not a soldier first picks up the shield who is Steve and you have someone here who is a soldier first and picks up the shield. What is the difference? And I think we are seeing it. We're seeing it. We're seeing it in extremes. Now, my problems, I guess, with some of this stuff here is that, yeah, we all knew this was coming, right? We all right. knew this was going to happen. Uh, whether it was just going to be a full turn, whether he was going to get the serum in turn, we knew that those pieces were all coming together, that it was, an, it was like Thanos, inevitable. I wish, honestly, that they just cut down on the Flag Smasher stuff, because I wish I cared more about the Flag Smasher stories. Mm. But their their reluctance to land in a proper place and paint the entire world as gray because they have this idea of like the what is it right like oh it's not so black and white John talked about that I believe where it's like it's not World War Two anymore like right the there, world there, is there different. are no good guys and bad guys essentially like everyone right. thinks that they're the the hero of their own story right there's this line of heroes don't have the luxury of keeping their hands clean yes they do. Though they do, they definitely do. They absolutely 100% do. If you are a hero with these types of abilities, if you are a super soldier, if you are a god among men, there's a lot in there that ties to the DC universe about why Mm. I have strong feelings about like, no, the heroes are different. These are gods. They don't just go around and kill people and they can keep their hands clean. Like they have that choice. Choice is really important in these things. And I think John has a choice at the end. And clearly, like Steve did, he went a different way though. But the Flag Smasher stuff, like, it just feels so disjointed. They still are just like, but they're good guys, but are they? Look at their reasons. They have good, like, it's so wishy-washy. Meanwhile, they have bits and pieces of John's pathos as he's going through. You have the conversation with Lamar that happened that I think is very important, right? Yeah. That reflects that reflects Sam. But I wish they had more about their story, about what they experienced in Afghanistan, about what being a soldier can do to a person. The PTSD they could experience, the psychological damage they could experience. This all, I think, attributes to what happens, but they don't touch on it almost like as if they're afraid to. And it, because they're like, okay, but do we want to make him too sympathetic? And it's just like, but you made these flag smashers nothing. And so this turn, I think, is great, but I just wish that they did more because it just feels so like, okay, yeah, he's evil now. Like, it's almost like like the, the flip got switched. He's bad. And I wish that they did a little bit more for someone who I think has a lot of pathos behind it. And you can address like real issues about the stuff that they've been talking about. Like Sam talks about the fact that there are soldiers that he's talked to. Like there's so much there that they could touch on, but they chose to instead focus a lot on the flag smashers who for me again, are just the most untouchable, like or they're intangible. And like, you can't grasp them because they're just keeping so much stuff vague because their models are their, their their reasoning is good, but like their actions are bad, and that leads me to the part that is most mind boggling for me for this whole sequence. One, I'm really annoyed that they killed Lamar because, like, you know, again, yes, there's there's more representation in this show than any others, but he still went with the with one of them. But you know, like, it's just like that had to happen. He got in a way fridged, you know, which is unfortunate. But that scene is occurring. Harley comes in, kills Lamar, and then everyone else, like the Flag Smashers, all stop fighting and are just like, oh no. And then they run. And it's just like, but you came here to kill someone. Because Carly says to Sam and Bucky, killing you would do nothing. We would have to kill Captain America. Shocker. 
what were they there to do? And so, like, this idea of, like, when Lamar dies that they, like, froze and are just like, oh, man. And then Carly at the end has this expression of just like, oh, no, look what he did. What did you expect to be happening? Like, this is why my frustration with the Flag Smashers, because I just feel like half the time they're also just dumb. Where it's just like, Carly, what did you, what do you think, what, what did you think was going to happen here? Like, you literally are talking about fighting in a war. You're talking about having to kill enemies. And guess what just happened? A soldier killed an enemy. Like, in, in in a way that's very bad. That's clearly very bad. But like everything here lines up with the idea of like this is war. He is a soldier. He like both sides essentially here were like his like, well, I didn't do it. And it's like, right, but you guys did go there to murder a person. Like you didn't kill him, but you definitely were planning on killing that guy. And so it's just so weird to me in this scene of just like, well, I didn't kill him. I was going to kill you. And it's just like, yeah, he shouldn't have killed him. But like this idea of like Carly murdered this character who I really liked Battlestar and it's supposed to be like, okay, so now we're definitely supposed to not like the Flag Smashers, right? It's just mind-boggling. Everyone's talking about this for, for Carly, who's just like, you murdered 137 people. And it's just like, yeah, well, they were bad. And it's like, yeah, those are definitely innocent people. And you could argue the semantics about how you land. As far as she's concerned and the rest of you, these are definitely enemies. The Captain America and Battlestar are definitely people you are fighting. So this shocker of, like, she killed this Of course she did. Of course you were planning to do so. It's... It's crazy to me in that moment and felt like such a like thing that pulled me out because it was just like uh, a a thing for like the audience story moment. You have to have that moment of John going over it and it just didn't mesh with everything else. Like I kind of wish it just flowed now. Like they kept fighting and John didn't have that moment Mm. and he, you know, he rushed and they realized like, oh, he's lost it. We need to go. And that could be an interesting thing. Like they ran because they realized, Oh, he's like us for sure, and we just really pissed him off, and we're not going to win this right now. We got to get out of here. That could have been cool, but it's so weird. I, I just everything with the flag smashers they've been doing is just a bit confounding to me. <laughs> so a lot about that. Uh, I mean, going to the to the Lamar scene, I do agree that I think the death scene itself wasn't the best. I even had uh, less of a problem than the whole flag smashers idea because I do agree that I think it would make more logical sense for them to be like oh, crap, for lack of a better term, Cap's going to hulk out. Let's GTFO. That would make more sense. For me, it was the actual death itself where you had, like, to the point where Clay Bennett even does, like, the whole nods head to side to indicate that he's dead. <laughs> like, that sure. was a little too OT. And maybe it's because, like, it, it didn't seem like uh, the textbook way to die, right? It seemed like he died upon impact of just getting, like, kicked up against the column, so they had to show it. It was a little goofy there, but I do think, again, the aftermath really makes up for it in response to the idea of killing off lamar let me actually read uh something so richard newby of the hollywood reporter wrote an article that has really been making the rounds that i will reference several times over the course of this podcast called falcon and the winter soldier explores a tragic truth about america uh and so this is what he has to say about Battlestar's death, he says, It's notable that it's Lamar Hoskins' death that serves to reveal the true walker to the world. Though the character hails from the comics, there is certainly something to be said about the black best friend who serves as emotional support to a white man. Yet, there is intentionality in this trope in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and not only in terms of creating foils for Sam Wilson and Bucky Barnes. As the black sidekick, Lamar Hoskins represents the thing Sam Wilson is afraid of being seen as which is why Walker referring to him as Cap's wingman irks him. 
Lamar Hoskins being seen as less than Walker while doing just as, as much work and putting his life on the line just as often is highlighted in the scene in which Walker is asked for an autograph, but Lamar is not. The encounter is played off with a bit of humor, and Lamar mentions that it's a shame he isn't asked because he's worked uh, out a Battlestar insignia to go with his signature. There is a sadness in this admission, surely picked upon by black viewers, this position of serving the government and still being unwanted. And, uh, you know, obviously, I think that's a thing that we're going to get to with some of these other characters, uh, Sarah especially. But I, I want to get your thoughts about that passage, because while I do agree that you can certainly say, is it tropey? to kill off Lamar Hoskins. I do think that Richard makes some interesting points that Lamar's characterization up to this point sort of made him to use a quote from this episode that IO used with Bucky, a means to an end. Yeah. Uh, honestly, hearing that is, is fantastic. I think that's really smart and def- definitely gives like just interesting perspectives that I hadn't considered. And I really like that interpretation. I like that read. I think that's there. And this is another example though, of like, that's really fascinating. That's really interesting. I wish there was more of that and less of the other thing. You know, mm-hmm. like, it is like, I wish they had developed that a little bit more. Like, you, we get the scene, like, like, 10 minutes before it happens. Like, come on. That's, like, barely enough time, in my opinion, to, to really develop the stuff um, that could that could really lend itself to some interesting storytelling. And I think I think it's successful. I think it works. I think it, it does. It's a means to an end and it gets what needs to be done done. I love that idea of, like, there's this, this battle, you know, Battlestar is being seen as a sidekick. No one really has asked for his autograph. He had this whole like hope for himself as, as, as coming in as like the, you know, the partner to Captain America that the world doesn't see. And probably for, for very racist reasons. Mm. Um, that's all really great and such fascinating, you know, uh, stuff that could be delved into. Um, and maybe again, like maybe you don't need to go too much into it because you don't need to essentially, you know, explain that to me as a person who doesn't understand it's there for the people who can get it. And I think that's also powerful in its own right. I do wish there was just a little bit more. And it is unfortunate that this character is now gone. I know. I, and I agree. I really liked the Walker stuff in particular in this episode. That's what we can sort of segue into. It's speaking of Hoskins, because I know that last week I was very much like, uh, all right, we're go. I think we, we maybe went a bit too much on the gas pedal with Walker. So I'm glad we, we sort of edged up on that pedal and decided to, to bring in some more stuff here because it made me realize sort of like backfilling some of Walker's feelings for last week, how frustrated he is as a person. I really like the journey for the character over this course of the episode of someone who, to your point, has been handpicked uh, and especially coming from a position of someone who like, you know, is being told you're doing good things, but doesn't feel good doing it, right? Feels like he's a bad person for doing so, considering what he had to go through. Uh, and, you know, when he says the three medals of honor becoming the most decorated soldier in U.S. history came at the cost of the worst day of his life. Here he finally gets an opportunity to be like, great, I finally can go to sleep at night knowing I'm doing good things as a good person. But then he finds out that he is completely outmatched in every perspective. Right. He walks he walks out of that small pond. He enters the ocean and sharks start to eat him alive where there are now super, you know, the the enemy are now taking serums to make themselves supernatural. So even though he's testing at the highest of his abilities and even sort of like bragged in that Good Morning America interview that we saw of, listen, I'm no Steve Rogers. I don't have anything in me. Just a regular guy. Clearly, these other people are, are sort of, I don't know, quote unquote, cheating in that regard. But even when he faces off against uh, the Dora Milaji. In when he's trying to take down Zemo, he finds himself defeated there. And he even, you know, you see that in that in that cafe scene, right? He's even saying like they weren't even super soldiers. Yeah. He's very he's very clearly realizing 
just how outgunned he is, despite the fact that he he was chosen as the best of the best. His best is not good enough. And so to see him succumb to that, what makes it even more tragic as well is that, again, going back to like the Hulk aspect, Lamar sort of seemed to be like his uh, Natasha. Right. Like, even though Lamar does have that thing to him of, hey, man, take the serum if you want to. It's just going to make you more powerful without changing your personality. It also did seem like Lamar seemed like the voice of reason right in the beginning of the episode when he angrily confronts them being like, no, no reasoning. I'm going to bust in there and crack some heads. Lamar's like, oh, no, no, let's let's go along with Sam's plan right here. It did seem like Lamar was sort of the cooler head of the two. When that cool head is gone, all we've got is heat. And that is not good. Yeah, no, for sure. And it, 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 that's the thing. That's why I wish, and I don't, it, it's such a, it's such a, like, double-edged sword because I do wanted, I wanted more, but you can't give too much because then you're over, overselling or over, um, over, overemphasizing, right? Like over explaining. Mm-hmm. Because I, again, there's so much there for this character. Like we get those moments that I think work here, but his like statement of they weren't even super soldiers, you know, after he's there on the ground that the door, you know, one of the Dormelage, uh, picked up his shield even and then handed it back yeah. over. Like there's just so much there that the pressure he's feeling, I think that the pressure part of it is so key to this. And it's so like this type of pressure is difficult. Like for people who have mm-hmm. experienced, especially pressure from outside forces to be the best and to do the best you can and feeling like you can't, that stuff is hard and it's rough and it's brutal and it's mentally exhausting and draining. And that's all the stuff that it's so easy to be like, okay, well he's bad now. Look, he's evil. And it's just like, okay, yeah, sure. But that just like makes it feel like people who do experience this sort of pressure is just like, and this is what's going to happen to you. You can't handle the pressure. Like there's a lot in there that I feel like can be a strange statement to make, but yeah, uh, the, the other part of it too is that, um, oh no, I lost my train of thought. It's gone. Where'd it go? It oh, derailed, no. like, well, like, well, like John's feelings. Well, um, uh, well, I mean, while you're, while you're, uh, getting that train back on the tracks here, I'll read, I'll read something else, uh, from Richard Newby's article about John Walker that I, I found really interesting because this is going to sort of tie into again why John took up the shield. Uh, so we talked about the conversation in Afghanistan. John sees the chance to be Captain America as his only chance to prove himself a good man. But who is he moving the world for? Not for the citizens of the world displaced by the blip, and not for those struggling to make ends meet as resources once again become subject to border regulations. John Walker wants to move the world for America, but only America as it pertains to the government. Yet he's naive because the government that sent him to Afghanistan to fight a war in which he found no honor is the same one that gave him the shield through which he'll find no honor either. He serves a government driven by ulterior motives and a military industrial complex that chews up young men and women and leaves the country with deficits impossible to pay off. And that's a really fun confounding logic as well, right? This is a guy who has been used and abused by a system and then said, all right, I'm going to represent that system now and and try to, you know, fight for truth, justice in the American way for the very system that oppressed me in the first place. Yeah, and I think I, that's actually close to where I was headed to because oh, of the, the the pressure just being put on him and all this stuff. You know, it's easy to blame him for turning you know this route for being for for becoming bad, but also like he is a victim of a system that of, a, of the military industrial complex and the government that has put him into a position like this and put this level of pressure on him. So he he the system around him is corrupt and broken and heavy, and yes, 
he is coming into this because he is a part of that system and he's been sucked into it, but it's also super easy to get pulled into a system and just become a cog and not realize that you are and thinking you're doing good and thinking you're going to try and do something different. Now there is obviously the America of it all, right? Like I can, I want to make a counter argument here. Like Sam understands what Carly is saying, right? But doesn't agree with the methods, but it's not like a lot of these guys were doing anything to help with that to begin with. And it's just like, well, now that you know, maybe you will, but like it's it is one of those weird things to like you can't paint the good guys as also doing the stuff that the that the government is fighting against because they weren't I guess is right no is the way no, I'm trying to put I that. mean no, to your point actually there was a viral tweet that came out sort of I think in response to the Carly stuff that we took umbrage with last week about how it seems like for some reason in MCU properties there's a character your villains usually were sort of like represent that anti capitalist stance. But then they'll do something unthinkable that makes viewers be like, well, actually, they have a point. Oh, my God, they killed a baby. No, right. no, no. I can't believe like, uh, you know, uh, we just talked about with that with Carly last week and arguably this week. I know it was talked about with Killmonger, who I know is a very respected villain. But then once I think what we're supposed to be doing is like, oh, he has a point, And, you know, even uh, T'Challa is going to going to believe in it in the post credit scene. But like once he starts becoming violent and doing, you know, dictatorial things. Then he becomes a villain. Even Adrian Toomes, you know, he was a working class man, but then he starts like doing very violent capital C criminal things and we're not supposed to to, you know, uh, believe in him anymore. It feels like a very similar thing here, right? Where it's like, we're not so different, you and I, but because I'm doing things that would cross a line from your perspective, therefore I'm the villain. Yeah, and I think that's that's the easy route, right? Like that's 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 the storytelling thing, right? Have the villain be like a reflection, the dark reflection of the hero. And sometimes that even can come in literally with powers, but also like mentally, right? Like the, the person too far, Dr. Doom, uh, like Reed Richards, both want to change the world and want to, you know, invent mm-hmm. and create stuff. But Doom has the, 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 the level of ego that Reed while has, doesn't have that far. Reed has his family to keep him grounded. Doom has only Doom. Um, you know, like there, there, there's those aspects of it that like the heroes and villains reflecting each other is a key part of storytelling. And I think the MCU does that constantly with it. And sometimes to great effect and sometimes to not so great effect. But with this one, again, with the flag smashers, it becomes tricky because it's less of like this villain has a point and more of just like, what, 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 why are we, why are we fighting exactly? Right. Cause mm-hmm. they, I guess they blew up that thing and that is bad. Okay. But like, Ultimately, they want to do a good thing, but they also need to just get the super soldier serum. So their reasons aren't even necessarily exactly what the Flag Smashers are doing, because originally it was a MacGuffin to just get the serum. So, like, there's all these, like, things that branch out that aren't, I think, again, because it's just so scattered, because they they couldn't, they needed the Flag Smashers to exist just to essentially serve a place until John becomes evil. <laughs> that it just felt like, okay, this is a thing that's happening and they're they're gonna chase them. It's just yeah, it's it's weird. Again, I, I really enjoy the show, but this is what I mean. Like a lot of stuff just feels very just like, all right, th- this is they, you know, and like it's straightforward and the stuff that's that they're trying to make complicated, I think almost they're overcomplicating parts. Mm. And not complicating the other parts enough. It's very odd. It, it's a very odd feeling that I have about it. And I don't want to be like a John Walker apologist. I just feel like <laughs> there was so much potential there to do a lot more that came at the sacrifice of this other story that feels kind of vague in what they're trying to say, even with the Flag Smashers. No, I, I mean, I really enjoyed 
the the John Walker. I wouldn't say even say dissent because again, going back to Lamar's quote of power just makes you more of who you are. Now we sort of in getting an amplification of John Walker in those last few minutes, we really get a distillation of who he is, which is he is aggressive. We've seen that before. Uh, you know, he wants to to be the the loyal dog who represents their government. But at the end of the day, John Walker is insecure. He is an incredibly insecure person. We even saw that in his very first scene. And now it makes so much sense, right? Where like his insecurity reflected even when he was given that job. And despite him now getting the job, he probably still has that imposter syndrome. He has that insecurity running through his head, especially when the people that he's trying to fight are so much better at it than him at it. And, and so I, I do think that, you know, while what he did at the end is just such like an absolutely brutal move, it came from a place of insecurity, too, where he's like, all right, they're doing this stuff. I guess I have to do this stuff, too, because this is what I have to do to protect my country and, you know, make sure that America remains supreme. Well, yeah, and then there's the there's the America aspect. I, I I feel like that can be read there because of him being a soldier and everything. I don't think they emphasize the I'm doing this for America as hard as like maybe it might be in what we're reading it, I guess, mm-hmm. like his motivations, because I do think it's more about his insecurity. I think it's more about him wanting to represent what he was chosen to represent. And yes, this is all stuff he believes in, because, again, he's part of that system. Right. Right. Um, so I think there's that level there and it's, it's, but like, it's also like hard to blame him because like, this is a weird example, but it's like in, in Dragon Ball Z, right? Like Hercules slash Mr. Satan, I believe is, yeah. is, is the, Mr. Is Satan, the, yeah. Right. Who is the strongest man in the world. And the thing is, he's just the dude surrounded by alien super Saiyans. And it's not like someone was like, Hercules, you, you are the one who must now go fight Boo. And there's only you who are capable of doing that. Right. That would be insane. Like he would, it would not go well for him. Like you don't do that to the guy who's just the world's strongest man. Yeah. When there's you know Goku going Super Saiyan three over there as he's fighting you know Majin Vegeta. No, no doesn't doesn't Hercule doesn't he become friends though with Majin Buu? I want to say right. Like doesn't he ironically enough take the Sam method of trying to make peace with him and so he does he plays his own part in a manner of speaking. I think that does happen when he is regular. When he's yeah, when, first he, when boo? he's like when he's big boo, right? Before yeah, he transforms into like before kid he boo. becomes kid boo and just murders everyone. <laughs> and you have to have like a fusion to any or the earrings is what they use. Anyway, I know, exactly. Well, everything in Dragon, Dragon Ball Z, Z. Will, will come will come at another point. Uh, exactly as we talk about here. Maybe maybe John Walker's daughter is going to like uh, marry Steve's son or something. Oh That'll God. Be- then it all Don't comes bring together. A pan character in here. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also interesting as well because I do feel like, and Kevin, you know more about US Agent than I do, but from what I've been able to glean, it does seem like this is also John Walker steering a bit into the US Agent from the comics as well, right? In that, like, when US Agent was Captain America, he differentiated himself in that he was not afraid to get blood on his hands. This is very correct. And this is this is in line with the character. This scene might be a little more violent. In, mm-hmm. in, 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 well, it's comics, but it might be um, a little more. I'm trying to figure out the right way to even put it, but like it, it is a little bit extra, a little bit more like um, also ambiguous, right? Like this is yeah. definitely bad um, versus in the comics. Sorry, in the comics, it's a little more ambiguous because people 
there was a contingent of fans who loved this, who loved U.S. Agent, who loved John Walker as the more aggressive cap, as a, as a new representation for a different America, a changed America from the times that he existed in. So, like, John Walker's still around in comics, and, like, uh, uh, you know, because people liked the character, people liked this new interpretation of, uh, of Cap for a long time, and it's hard-pressed to even think, like, I feel like, yeah, he was villainous for a little bit, but I'm pretty sure he's solidly in the what is classified as the anti-hero category. You know, he's like the Punisher mm-hmm. for people. So, um, and again, my feelings on that will vary. <laughs> but um, that's essentially where he lies in the comics. So it's interesting here because it's hard pressed beyond me, who is, the, again, John Walker apologist, I guess, uh, to feel like they could do more there versus I think what they are going is to make him full villainy, not just like I'm the more aggressive cap. It's just like, oh, no, you're you're bad. Um, in this moment of just brutalization. And again, I want to reiterate that scene is rough. And what he did was bad for surezies. I just think that all the lead up to it is a bit wonky and Carly, especially that I cannot get over that scene of her when I wish she was gone. I wish I didn't cut to her in the crowd looking at what was happening with this. Just like, Oh my God expression. And it's just like, maybe this was them trying to be like, Oh yeah, she's just a kid un- un- unable to understand her, her, what she's been doing, but I'm like, yeah, it's a kid who also murdered 137 people in an explosion for no reason. So, meh. yeah, well, I mean, you bring up an interesting point because let's let's sort of segue into the flag smashers here because I mean, we get things pretty we're starting to round the corner on in a way in that Sam and Carly finally do sit down, uh, which is very iCarly because I realize that those are two characters <laughs> from iCarly. Uh, but to your po- <laughs> it is. It's your friend Sam. <laughs> But to your to your point, I think that they are really slow feeding us uh, flag smasher stuff to the point where we're still not sure what they're doing. Like I, I know that their intent, what their intentions are, right? One world, one people. But right now, they like what they bombed a supply or they stole from a supply depot and then bombed it. But it doesn't seem like they have an overarching goal. It seems more so like they're just going from place to place doing Robin Hood-esque tasks and they stop down doing this one thing. It, it feels like we haven't necessarily unlocked that macro goal that we usually get from a lot of these villains. More so we've been we've been doing a lot of micro goals. So it's tough to even think about like, yeah, they're they're a little bit of a danger, but we don't exactly know where they're going in this instance. But you bring up, you know, she's just a kid. Sam says the same thing. And again in a callback to Civil War Steve Rogers said the same thing about Wanda Maximoff. And that's another interesting connection as well. And I know it certainly connects back to, I think, your uh, your distaste in the ending of WandaVision is that it's kind of a similar thing, right? Like, I wouldn't say there's there's forgiveness in this moment, but it is sort of this idea of, well, you know, doing bad things, but not realizing that you're sort of like in over your head doing it might excuse the actions when really it it doesn't. Uh, despite her declaring, I'm not a supremacist, I'm taking down the supremacist, purposely killing 137 people to make a point kind of makes you a supremacist. Yeah, it certainly doesn't make you a good person. And uh, the, the the vagueness of the flag, flag smashers, it, I think you hit a really good point, right? Like, what is your, like, what is your mission? Uh, like, what is your goal? Um, and I think for other villains, and this is another part that makes them so um, intangible, is because, like, other villains do have that. You you know what the goal ultimately is. And, and, and the, like, it's like what, you know, like, okay, well, what do you want? Like, world peace. What does that mean 
though. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like it is like, what does that mean? And I think that's the thing is like their goal of just like, well, we want things to go back to the where they where they were. And we want to be, you know, like um um get back into the homes that we were pushed out of and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, that's all well and good, but what exactly does that mean? Versus like you have villains like Killmonger, who you can see, like, oh yes, yeah, I, he he wants you know he wants Wakanda to become a global superpower as it deserves to be to help mm-hmm. the rest of his people around the world. Got it? Like you you understand that Thanos? I want to eliminate half of life in the universe so that way we have enough resources to continue to survive. Got it? Rachel Ghoul, like, hey, humanity gets out of control every now and then, so sometimes you got to do a thing to ignite a war to kill half of them or as much of them as possible so the planet can continue because humans are a disease. Got it. Like, there's, you know, there's stuff there that you understand for these characters and the villains and their motivations, and usually, especially for long-term villains, that motivation sticks. Like, Rachel Ghoul, that's his his deal for a while. Like, he yeah. doesn't, well, he's also practically immortal, so he's had it for a, a long time. But, <laughs> With the Flag Smashers, again, we have a vague, vague goal of just like, exactly that. Well, what do you want? World peace. Okay. I mean, I, I would like that too, I guess. Like, what do you, but when your answer to that question is the same as, as a beauty pageant contestant, like, you know, you're not going on that, that path. Yeah. And like, again, maybe this is trying to do something about their naivety, right? Like, this is maybe about Carly's naivety again. Um, and it's like a goal that just doesn't, mean anything and mm-hmm. they think they're standing for something when they're not standing for you know you know what is it if, if well if you stand for if what uh if you stand for nothing what do you fall for, for? Yeah. right so it's just but like it's weird right they're trying to stand for everything so like you know they're unstable um but it, yeah it's just so weird to me that this was such a crux for over half the series and that's, I think, if you know, you want to talk about, in my opinion, what, what a big fault in the series is, is that I think the Flag Smashers are easily the weakest part in the series. And it's unfortunate. Um, it's a pretty straightforward series. Like I said, there's the spy stuff. Last episode was checking off boxes. This stuff was progression of plot into a way that I think a lot of us knew it was headed anyway. Um, and the stuff that I think can be deep and can be interesting and can be cool, they're not focusing in on enough that said they do have cool stuff because <laughs> they had an awesome fight scene with the Torvalaji that just yeah what? uh was awesome like that part was cool as hell yeah so uh, what i will say something i really did enjoy about the flag smashers though is again like you said that this is inevitable but i really did like how we are sort of doing the horseshoe effect with sam and carly in a way where they are maybe not seeing eye to eye but i think connecting Carly with Sam and Sarah makes you look at two different groups of people that are under the boot of an oppressor and you ask what do you do about it Sam and Sarah are seem to be the types of people Sarah especially sort of has the point of view of like that's the way it always is I just got to get used to life on the ground Carly is the one who says screw you, I'm going to break your foot off and, you know, stomp on you with your own boot. And so I do think that that's unique in that I wouldn't say they're facing, obviously, the exact same situation because race in America is an incredibly different issue than what it seems like, you know, her being displaced from her home after the blip. But I do find it interesting that when you are given the opportunity to try to dismantle the power structure that has put you in this position that the different tactics that they use, like you said, Sam and Carly are going to sit in a room and Sam's going to say, like, listen, I don't necessarily disagree with your point of view. 
I just think, you know, killing all these people is not necessarily the the way to do it. I think, you know, it's an interesting perspective. While that was probably assumed, I like that they were explicit about it between these two characters. I'm going to assume this is certainly not the last, like, sit-down conversation these two are going to have. I will also say, you mentioned it before, I really like that they brought up that Sam, remember when we met him in Civil War, he does counseling for mm-hmm. vets. And so I really do like that we brought in, like, Counselor Sam. Again, this is going back to the John Walker statement of this is something you can't just punch your way out of every time. Yeah, sometimes you do have to take the soft approach. And I think that despite things going a bit pear shaped, I think that Sam being able to utilize this unique Sith skill set from even someone like Steve Rogers is really cool. Yeah. And I mean, like with many things, John should have done what Bucky and, and Sam also done, which is, you know, go to therapy, um, which yeah. everyone, should go to, everyone should go to therapy. Um, but, like, even with the stuff, it's funny, because, like, with the Carly situation, with the flag smashes and that conversation, I did really like it, right? And I love the contrast that you're, you're pulling here between Sarah and Carly and, like, both part of the same, um, uh, you know, feeling oppression themselves with how they respond to it. And it's really interesting, because, like, we still, I compare it now, like, I'm, like, thinking a comparison, right? Like, go to Game of Thrones. Like, mm. Carly is essentially trying to be Daenerys Targaryen. And, but even... But even then, Daenerys at least had a mission statement because they'd outright ask her, what are you, like, I forgot the exact thing is like, what are you trying to do? Reinvent the wheel? And she's like, no, I'm trying to break the wheel. And I'm like, got it. And like, honestly, that's the thing. Cause like, if given that horseshoe and given where you stand, I'm on the side of break the wheel. Like I have my own feelings. Now that's frustrating because so many times it just gets painted as just like, well, you're the bad guy because you're too extreme. Like the Magneto effect. I'll, that's a whole other podcast that you can check out <laughs> that I've done. But like, I really, you know, get frustrated with some of those stories like this. And with Carly, though, it's even trickier because you don't have her mission statement of I'm trying to break the wheel. You don't have like her actions that you feel like are, are leading towards something like the, the 137 dead. And it's like, OK, but for what exactly ultimately? Um, and it's, you know, to get supplies to give out to people. And it's like, OK, well, that's good. Um, but it's like the little things, right? It's like you're doing all these actions, but what is the ultimate goal at the end? And that's the vagueness. At least again, for Magneto, you're like, what's the ultimate goal at the end? And it's just like, be, for mutants to not be stepped on constantly, you know? And like the idea of like, well, for him, it's been pushed to like, you know what? We are the superior race. This is where we are now, humans. You had your chance. You effed it up. Now it's our turn. And at least again, mission statement. Like, you know, I feel like that's all there. And even in this conversation with Sam, it's to have him try and approach Carly, maybe have that thing that normally happens with a good guy has to learn from the bad guy. But again, the bad guy's so vague that I'm like, what exactly is he learning that like he comes in? And he's like, well, I agree with you. And it's just like, well, yeah, any rational person would agree with them. Like, this is our problem, though. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Well, while we are talking about Sam, let's sort of segue to the Madripoor trio, uh, who, again, you know, I think because they're constants, we're probably... Not to say the least interesting part of this episode, but certainly I think the the lesser talking points compared to, like you said, the Flag Smashers and John Walker, which really took precedence. But instead of going to Sam, I want to start with Bucky because I want to talk about this Wakandan stuff. Sebastian Stan, OMG, what an opening scene. Like, incredible flashback. While I am incredibly disappointed that he was not an agent of Wakanda, that yeah. this was not an ulterior motive, a man can dream... But I love what we got to see in this opening flashback. Not only does it build out a personal relationship, apparently, between Io and Bucky. It seemed like Io was, like, I guess Bucky's, I don't know, like, sponsor uh, in a way that, like, she seems specifically responsible for his rehabilitation. But just the emotion that Sebastian Stan has been able to show so far in this series is great, considering that, unfortunately, up to this point, he really has just been brooding and staring that they have actually, you know, made reference to in the past couple of episodes up to this point, we get a scene of him, like, forcing himself against his programming while tears are streaming down his face. Kevin, I, I just thought it was, like, an incredible piece of acting to start this episode. Absolutely, and I'm glad that he's getting the chance to, like, stretch these acting chops of his as well, because I do think he, he has done a lot of stuff that I really like, and I really like him as an actor, and, you know, uh, and the other stuff he's been in, I think he's really good. And he did great in, I think, the stuff he was in for, like, Civil War and stuff. But again, like, it was a very, like, one-note character throughout. It is just, like, like, I'm emo. And this is different. That's that's another character. He has a purple mask. (laughs) Um, So... I really do like this, and it's really funny because I just rewatched Hot Tub Time Machine, and he is in that movie and playing someone oh, really? completely is, different. Is he, is he one of those like uh, ski douches? He is the lead ski douche. He's yes. the lead ski douche who is worried about Russian spies. Which I was like, ah, oh, oh. like so. It's just really funny that uh, so much of his like stuff just tie it like in a way. I'm, I, I just have in my head now that all of his stuff is just a winter soldier. Like we, jo- I was joking with a friend with he was in I Tanya, and I was like, well, to be fair, he was brainwashed when he did that, you know. In <laughs> so like, just I like the idea of Winter Soldier doing these terrible things. That's just Sebastian, anyway. Um. But yes, this seems really great, and I think it, they're bringing this this character, like this Bucky, is a Bucky I like. This is the this is the Bucky that I'm like, oh yeah, I get it. This, the, I can Steve Steve fought for this guy. I understand it now. Like he's more personable. He has so much emotion and and tragedy to him that I think they really get to delve into, and I guess uh, and, and Sebastian Stan gets to like really play into right, like really get to stress those acting moments where the emotion is so there versus just to like, I'm going to give a hard stare and every now and then I'll make a dry quip, you know? Yeah. I, w- I want to read a comment. I know we'll bring feedback in later, but the Ariel that sucks did a really great breakdown of this opening scene. Uh, sort of like beat by beat. He says the opening scene is what haunts me the most and only in the best way. As many have already said, Sebastian Stan absolutely obliterates this flashback. But it also has stayed with me because of how well Florence Kasumba as Io plays off of him. You learn a lot about their relationship in such a small amount of time, and it made me really emotional. Io's I won't let you hurt anyone is spoken in such an assuring manner. 
And then even as she starts to say the words, she these are the words that, you know, triggers uh, Bucky into the Witcher Soldier programming. She's being respectful of their power and their emotional effect on him. He's so deeply afraid. And then finally, relief. And while he's still looking into the fire and sobbing uncontrollably, she smiles, realizing herself that it worked. She so clearly cares about him and wanted this for him. There is so much warmth exuding from her as he meets her eyes, and she smiles again, nodding to him to make sure he understands, you are free. Their bond feels so real. Then we cut to present day, and obviously their interaction is so much more charged and meaningful now. She circles around him, still respecting him, but also a little disgusted and wanting to know how the hell he could do this to them and to her. And I totally agree specifically with that last paragraph there. I love the fact that now we thought we were talking last week, right? About like, oh, was this because they, you know, they couldn't get a Koye because obviously Chadwick Boseman was not available. Like, was this just sort of like a fill in uh, Dora, Dora Milaje? I love how they gave a backstory to that so that there was meaning to it. So that when Io in the middle of their fight takes off Bucky's arm and essentially brings him back to the white wolf status, it reminds him like, hey, look what we gave you in you betraying us. You know, th- this is you're essentially like cutting off your own arm at this moment. Oh, yeah. The literalness of that is actually really solid. I didn't even think about that. Um, yeah, that's it's it's such a great scene. and It's such a great development between these two characters and especially bringing in, you know, uh, Io, who I believe is present in Civil War. She is, yeah, um, yeah, uh, into this and 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 really, I think solidifying these bonds between uh, between the two of them and the tension that would arise from this. It all feels natural. It all feels right. Like you could even go so far as like you know, one of my big problems in a lot of fiction, especially YA fiction, is that whenever there's like, and these, this isn't this necessarily, but whenever there's like tension in relationships, especially like romantic relationships, there's always just some nonsense issue that just doesn't feel real at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and this. If it was, right, like, everything feels natural, everything feels real, everything feels right. And I'm not saying these two are romantically involved, but their connection is deep. They have a deep connection. And the and the tension between them feels absolutely accurate. And it's not something that is just like, oh, this could be solved, you know, like like Peter Peter and Harry. Like, just sit down for 10 mm. seconds and talk to each other. Or Peter and MJ, sit down for 10 seconds and talk to each other. Or MJ and Harry, sit down for t- literally everyone <laughs> in that mode. Sit down for 10 seconds and talk to each other. That's not going to solve this. And I like that. I like that this isn't a, well, let's just sit down and converse for a bit and we can get right. through this. And it's just like, no, no, no. Actions here are, are way louder than words. And we're about to have action against the ones that you have taken. So, all that worked so well for me, and of course led to an incredible fight scene uh, where you know they disarmed Bucky quite literally. Yeah, I mean Latanya writes, "I love Sam and Bucky so much, but the Dormilage need their own series or movie now. They were incredible. Uh, good news, Latanya. I do believe. I mean, Black Panther two is, is probably going to focus on at least some section of the Dormilage. But yeah, I totally agree. This was a really fantastic fight scene. It's also, I think, a great microcosm of the series where. It has become abundantly clear to me that this is going to be a series of multiple sides. It's essentially like a 20-sided die uh, in that like everyone seems to be representing some sort of different shade uh, that are all wanting sort of the same thing, but in a, a different regard. So here you have, you know, uh, you have Zemo and you have Walker and Hoskins who went for Zemo, but get caught up with the Dora Milaje who also want Zemo. But because, of course, John Walker tries to do the whole nice guy Chad approach and puts his hand on Io, then they kick his ass. Then you have Sam and Bucky who really are just sitting back, not wanting to do this. And they're like, God damn it, fine. So it's interesting to see all those sides represented in this one fight. But yeah, 
it's always fun to watch the Dermalage kick some ass, especially in the face of, of someone like Captain America, who up to that point had been pretty pompous in their interactions. Yeah, and I love the moment of the spear throne just, like, right through the straps and, like, just shows their skill. The skill level to do mm-hmm. that is incredible. It's so good, and it's such a great fight. And then, of course, really boiling down to them being there is because they want Zemo. <laughs> Again, Zemo, my favorite part of this episode is Zemo, like, without question. Again, very different person than the one that I knew in Civil War. But this guy is A+. plus. <laughs> I mean, let me point this out here. I have realized, I think Daniel Brühl's Baron Zemo is our new Loki. And it's mm. weird because we have a series about him, but specifically the way that he was going about things in this episode, I very much got Loki vibes. And specifically for me, him escaping, pulling an El Chapo, as Sam put it, going out through the bathroom, very reminiscent to me of Endgame Loki using the Tesseract to warp out and so and now leading into an entire series. Like this is this is what it very much seems to me. Like I think Zemo has now to your point gone from a very charged villain to like free agent to someone who will say, okay, I'll work with you if you help me towards my goal. And then once we're done, I'm gone. Yeah, and I I, I it, it's so interesting because this was a character who also was introduced where similar to um, Adrian Toomes, right? To the Vulture. He has a code. He has things he believes and he follows, and he has followed through on that. I love the fact that he smashed the serum, because for half a second I was like, I swear to God, if they make him take the serum. But he didn't. He smashed him, because that's what he would do. We are very well aware of what his feelings and goals are, and they have kept true to that. Even though his personality feels different, what he stands for is the same, and I like that part of it. I love the interaction where they're trying to get information, and he goes to the kids to get information from them. And I liked that he gave them enough information, because he could have just shown up, and when he's giving the tea, said nothing. But he said, like, well, there's going to be a few. Like, there's so much in there that I think is nuanced to this character and really fascinating and interesting. Uh, and, of course, when the fight breaks out, I just love he's drinking his tea. He finishes, and he's like, I'm all right. And then just goes into the bathroom, closes it the right call (laughs) it makes so much sense because you know i had initially had some gripes of like okay why are we doing you know cap arrests him he escapes shoots carly and then he escapes again but i realized like he had to smash the serum first and now he's basically done right like he i wouldn't say he completely succeeded in his goal but the whole reason he wanted to work with sam and bucky is because he's like i hate that these are super soldiers you know god should not be among men here uh you know i want to eradicate them and while the flag smashers are not wiped out he basically wiped out any chance of there being any future super soldiers so he's like great g to g he also has as you pointed out maybe his own resources i know latanya said that uh, she got very major varus and his little birds stuff with zemo and the children but it's also like a fantastic look at a how we had that whole secrets with Sam and Bucky, like trying their own methods to get information and Zemo still is able to do so like that. He still has his methods uh, and that are able to supersede some of our main characters as well, which, which makes him dangerous, but also that he is able to really get information out of these children by reflecting upon his tragic past. The reason why he became a villain is because the whole Sokovian incidents in Avengers Age of Ultron killed his family. And so when he brings out the Turkish delights, like he says, oh, my son used to love these. And you forget that Zemo lost everything in that, that he was a father. So like he's almost speaking to a part of himself uh, that I think is, is a really 
fun place to explore with this character. Again, like as puckish or Loki-ish as he may be, there are still some interesting complexities there of this is a man who has experienced so much tragedy prior that like it still drives him to do these things, even if he's going to fist pump in the club for an hour. Thank you so much, Marvel Studios, for releasing that video, by the way. That is just an hour of Zemo fist pumping to music. Uh, yes, but let's not forget, um, things are purposeful, right? Like, choices are made when you're telling a story, or, mm. you know, because it needs to be there. And it is not lost on me that he is using Turkish Delight yeah. to tempt both kids and adult man come, babies Come through, White Witch, come through. Exactly. <laughs> This is this gave me real big Narnia vibes here. Like, it, let's not forget as much as we like Zemo, as charming as he can be, as nice as he can be, giving everyone Turkish delights. He is a villain. Like, and I think that's really great. I love the fact that they did the Turkish delight because immediately, I think for anyone who is familiar with the, uh, you know, the um, the uh, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, and I don't mm-hmm. remember, Narnia series. Thank you, the Narnia um, a series of books. That's a key big part of that you know like that turkish delight is is the is the epitome of like oh yes the white witch you know um amazingly acted by uh tilda um, swinton tilda swinton who's phenomenal in everything she's in i don't like that movie that much i tried to be watching it recently still not good but she is great because tilda swinton just goes all in every role she ever has and it's so good yeah, it's it's a it's a I mean, again, it's it's fun little Disney and uh, Marvel connection as well. Well, I'm in terms of of loose ends from this episode. So so talk to me about this, because the door Milaje I do stop by. Right. They lose out on Zemo. We asked last week, how much will Wakanda play a role in the last three episodes? Now that we have seen what they want, do we think they're going to come back here or do you think it's going to be a matter of well, we lost Zemo, we're done getting involved with you guys, goodbye. I feel like they're going to show up again at least one more time. Um, I think Zemo is not gone completely with, uh, what, two episodes left? Mm-hmm. I think we're going to get another instance of him, if anything, briefly. Um, and I do think um, with Bucky's connection to everything and his own journey, I think I think we can see them again as well. I think that Dora Milaje uh, could show up um and 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 play at least a small role uh to wrap some character arcs. All right, well let's get into some of the feedback from the great listeners of Everything is Super. And suffice it to say, a lot to talk about. Let's start with the title of this episode. The whole world is watching. Brenna said, and now the entire world knows this guy is not a hero. So let's go back to our discussion of the ending. I mean, a pretty prominent part of that is it's not just Sam and Bucky who witness it. It's not just Carly. There's an entire crowd of civilians and more notably, an entire crowd of civilians filming John Walker killing a person. Do you think there are going to be ramifications for this? Um, yes, I think there's definitely ramifications. I don't think necessarily... I mean, there's a lot of ways this could go, right? Yeah. Like, is the government going to be like, what did you do? Like, you can't be Captain America anymore. Then he goes full rogue. Like, there's a lot of, uh, oh man, what, what was, what was Steve Rogers' name in the comic where he was nomad? Does he go full, does he go nomad? Uh, which is possible. These are all things that I could go, right? The ramifications I mean, he is, he from the is government. Mad, so he could be a mad nomad. <laughs> no mad, mad. 
I mean, it's it's a great question though because yeah, I mean, you have to wonder what repercussions are there. Does this, you know, does this blow back on Captain America or does it just get like a government PR job, right? Of like, oh, this is a terrorist and Captain America does what he does to save the day. It could really go a couple of different directions. Uh, And I think that also depends on like how John Walker himself is perceived. It's probably his help by the fact that he is a blonde haired blue eyed white guy. Just going to say it definitely has reflections to a lot of stuff about, you know, (laughs) people in authority doing stuff like that. And a lot of other people being like, no, that's fine. And it's not. And so (laughs) like there's a lot there that they can, that they can delve into in, in, in these coming episodes. And, you know, these are all themes that I f- would find very, very interesting. I don't know, again, like, w- w- with the hesitancy of s- stepping onto stuff with PS- PTSD and, and the military, I-, mm-hmm. I don't know if they would run a route like that because it's such a, a, um, how would say hot button topic, but like, you know, like a hot button topic that they might hesitate. And, um, yeah. I hope they don't. And I hope they, t- they take the right stance here, but, um, it'll be interesting to see how that all goes and how that all plays out. Um, certainly there's going to be repercussions in some way, shape, or form from everything that's happened. Let's stay on the Walker topic. Liz Irwin says, I want to say that part of this feels to me that Walker always found himself to be the pinnacle of the non-augmented male species. I think his pride and ego were fragile to the points that we made before. I think his deep-rooted insecurity and ability to not live up to super soldier levels was hard for him. But then... To be beat by the Wakanda soldiers, two women who are not super soldiers. It's after that that he took the drug after he was beat by two women of color. And like we said, obviously, the Dromologia seems to be a breaking point for him. But I, I guess to that, do you think there are ties of masculinity in there as well? Oh, I definitely. I, sorry, I thought I said this earlier, but there was definitely vibes of fragile male ego in, I think, this entire <laughs> episode and, and to John Walker. Um, and, you know, that that can that can run a lot of courses here. Uh, I do think the contrast I hadn't thought about the, the the fact that that it was two women of color that he lost to that that maybe pushed him over the edge. I do think I just that conversation with him and Lamar I think works really well and makes me wonder too did he already take the serum when he had that conversation? It's um, a good question, yeah. Of, of like, uh, I mean, what if he did? And Lamar's like, hell no, I wouldn't have taken the serum. Yeah, right? He's like, uh, I gotta <laughs> go to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> well, to that point, so Jank asked, you know, we we get two quotes about power here zemo says basically power corrupts everyone with the exception of steve rogers and that's why walker is no steve rogers and battlestar says power just makes you more of who you are where do you think the show stands on that sort of uh you know dichotomy or 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 is there a dichotomy uh, yeah, I, I don't know if there necessarily is a dichotomy there's old sayings right like this is something people have discussed and i've sort of it's tough because I, I've sort of come around a little bit to the idea that it is more of um, power just reveals who you are because mm-hmm. you say that power corrupts absolutely, but like given power, it really like it shows what you would ultimately do one way or another because you know you don't have that option previously. So given it now, what does it do? You know, and it, I think there is a level of it reveals who you are ultimately because with power you can do good. Uh, I wish there was more people that had power that would do good. Um, and in this case, by power, I mean money. And by money, right. I mean millions and billions. And do good, I mean just redistribute that. But anyway, um, 
like there is a lot there that can be delved into, but it's it, then then you get into a situation where where we're here, right? Where there are so many people with billions of dollars and it's, and power, and it's just like, well, none of them are doing a lot of good. Is it is it just that humanity is crappy? So like we end up in a situation where I think you spiral, you spiral when you start thinking deeply about that stuff. It's that old Spider Man strip, right? Of like, oh well, this power you could cure cancer, but I don't want to cure cancer. I want to turn people into dinosaurs. That's really yes. what it is. It informs who you are. <laughs> God, I love that so much. Uh, so going back to Walker, uh, I had a comment from CT that I find really interesting because CT says, I don't like Walker because he had a chance to have Sam and Bucky on his side, too. But he only saw them as, quote, cap sidekicks. Whatever his history was, he was new to having such immense power way before he took the serum. He needed a team of good people on his side, but he didn't want a team of equals. Like Sam said, he came in under the impression that he was, quote, running things, and he felt entitled to have absolute unchallenged power because, quote, he's the government. What do you think about that read, too, Kevin, that, you know, despite the welcome wagon coming in a couple of episodes ago, that Walker never really had any intention of of working with these guys, more so they were to once again use the phrase a means to an end. I do think he did, though, like the scene where, you know, they pull up in, in in the truck to be like, come on, guys, you know, come on in. I think he did try to extend hands. Now, I do agree there is a level of it of he expects him to follow him because he's Captain America. I think that is accurate 100 mm-hmm. percent. And I think part of that, though, is tied into, again, not just the government, but the military. This is this is a, a, um, a, a you know, a, a group and an organization that if you are the commanding officer you follow them. And so I think there's that this is a, this is, this is a soldier who is now a commanding officer and he expects the rest to fall in line and to follow because that is what he is used to. So I do think there's again, elements of that stuff that they don't delve too much into. But again, when you're trapped in the system and you become a part of the system, you don't realize how much of a cog you're being. Uh, Let's check in. Uh, Let's do some power broker updates. Uh, Of course, (laughs) after our talk last week, Fitzy writes, the power broker went apeshit, which is a quote that Sharon Carter was in a couple of scenes, and that's what she claims that, you know, oh, when he found out that Nagel was dead. Sure, he slash dead Sharon. Power broker has to definitely be Sharon after this episode, right? That voice on the phone was definitely a fake, now one we've recognized, and there's no way that the power broker can be someone we haven't met four episodes in. I gotta admit, Kevin, uh, I guess that snake is looking more and more delicious to me. I was just me. gonna say, are you gonna eat a snake? I feel like you might I mean, have to I eat a snake. I mean, I guess I have to. I mean, like, listen, if anyone knows anything about me, it says I, I commit to my words at this point. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm starting to I'm starting to get worried that, you know, the little bits and pieces we got of Sharon in this episode were meant to be like, hey, don't forget about her because she actually has a larger role to play than you may think. And she's able to track John, presumably because she's able to track the shield. Um... That's my guess, anyway. Yeah, is, it, is it just tracking vibranium like uh, Hayward was able to track vision? Sure, yeah. Well, again, I don't know why he was doing that. Or he- I'm not going back there. Um, but yeah, I mean, at least with this, we can understand why she's tracking John. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, the evidence is there. They keep avoiding showing the power broker. They have uh, Sharon just basically being like, yeah, the power broker really feels this way. So I guess it's leading more towards Sharon as a power broker. Motivation is going to be effing wild to me that's, to figure out. That's the thing. That's that's why I, I guess I was so bold as to say last week that I don't think she was because it it makes no sense at the moment. They'll they'll if they do they'll probably have some sort of eleventh hour reveal. I won't be particularly happy about it for many reasons, but I I do feel like 
the fewer episodes that we introduce this quote-unquote power broker character, the more there's a chance that at the 11th hour, it's going to be this reveal of like, ha-ha, it was actually me being the power broker the entire time. Yeah, but it, and then, yeah, that goes into like, okay, so you're telling me Sharon Carter was okay with what happened to Isaiah and wanted more super soldier serum and had a guy making it for her under duress so she could then, what, give it to other people to make more Steve Rogers is? What, what is the plan and motivation here? This mm-hmm. goes into like, I think despite the personality shift, um, Zemo is still Zemo ultimately in his views and motivation. And I feel like for this, Sharon Carter is just like, okay, how did you get to this point? And they could just hand wave it away and just be like, you don't know what I went through. You know, I was on the run because they didn't pardon me. And I was just like, yeah, that was shitty that Steve didn't let that happen. Um, and it's just like, so now this is how it's just like, okay, I, I, I guess so. I wish we followed you on that journey and maybe we could understand it more. But as far as it's being concerned, it's just like, you're bad now, you know? Yeah. Like, Speaking of the serum, I actually, I, there was a, a quote that I really loved from this episode where Sam says blood isn't always a solution, right? His umpteen take on, you don't need to be violent to, to make a point. But I do think it's, it has sort of a double entendre, either intentionally or unintentionally, that applies back to the serum, right? That was made with Isaiah Bradley's blood. This idea of like, you can superpower yourself up all you want. It's not going to get the job done. The blood there isn't the solution. And in here, spilling blood is also not the solution. That's really funny. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> well, let's get a, a final question here from CT that's going to look forward in the way that we end the episode as well in a, in a darker light. CT asks, do you all think that it's possible that either Sam or Bucky dies before or at the end of the series? I'm getting kind of worried. And Kevin, I will admit I'm I'm being Doctor Strange right now because I do think there is probably one scenario where, to be candid, I don't know if Bucky Barnes lives to see the end of the series. I hope that's not the case. <laughs> just just for like, I don't know why. Like, I mean, like, is his contract up? Maybe I just like why. Why do like why build the character in such a great way? Like why have potential for great stories to move forward with to only then be like, but then they die, and it's just like uh, okay, yeah. I the, guess. the the one thing that I could possibly see because I agree, I think as we've talked about in this podcast, the development with Bucky has been top notch, really in every way, and I would I would want to see more fertile ground explored with him. The thing I could see happening is. For one reason or another, whether Bucky sacrifices himself or he dies, and then Sam says, well, Bucky has been telling me this entire time, you know, how much the shield meant to him in honor of him. I'm going to take up the shield and finally become Captain America. I mean, I guess I I go back to like, I think it's better if, if it does tie back into Isaiah. If you have more about that aspect, you have the thing about Carly, about like, that's not the way that should be going about the idea of those like, there's not another Steve, but there is a Sam, you know, like, I, I think mm-hmm. there's a lot there that works for it. I think Bucky dying as a reason of motivation is kind of cheap almost. Um, but just because it's, it's so like, again, check that box. Like, it's just like a checked box versus something more like the complexity around the entire situation, I think should be the motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, yeah, I just, uh, Bucky dying would just like, again, bring an end to the character that I think has a lot of potential to move forward with. and. I don't know, like, like he, a part of that character is guilt and wanting to, like, make amends or feel, like, he feels regret about what happens, and if making amends for the stuff he did as a Winter Soldier is a big factor, you're gonna have to do a little bit more than that, man. 
Like, you know, in my opinion, it's just like you do one sacrifice and you're absolved. And it's like, what is this? Rise of Skywalker? Like, come on. Um, <laughs> Again, like, same same uh, umbrella property. So maybe. Same umbrella property. And so I hope not because. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I would just want a little bit more of a, of, of a different outcome and resolution for this character than that being the answer. One final comment from Latanya Starks. Sam called his aunt TT. Gabe calls me TT. Ergo, Gabe is an Avenger. Kevin, more young Avengers confirmed, though I guess this is like baby Avengers. I think it's yeah, young, young, young Avengers. Younger Avengers. There uh, we go. Yeah, younger Avengers. This is coming. I think that I, I, I think LT is right, though. That's confirmed. I think the, the, that, that's one theory we can all be 100% sure on. Absolutely. So, Latanya, best of luck dealing with your little younger Avenger. Just make sure he's, uh, before he goes off, you know, fighting any sort of aliens that are touching down onto Earth, that he's a. Uh, or he's androids well- or wizards. Exactly. If he's conquering the big three, just make sure he's he's well fed. That's going to do it for this week on Falcon the Winter Soldier. We only have two episodes left. The episodes Wild. keep getting longer, so I think that you know we're not necessarily going to be in for any shorter episodes anytime soon. But like you said, it is wild, especially the way that things ended. To see where things can possibly go in two plus hours of show left. Boy, that escalated quickly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't uh, Ron Burgundy sipping his drink like Zemo was during that fight? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I mean... John Walker killed a guy. Is he drinking Johnny Walker in that scene? What's happening yeah, there? possibly. <laughs> that could be another Sebastian Stan Jeff Galuli connection. Uh, we, we, oh, I forgot to mention this last week, but I want to draw an opportunity to do it this week. We're a bit belated, but Kevin, let me wish you a belated one-year anniversary for everything is super. Obviously, uh, I am no Josh Wegler in many ways, but believe it or not, the beginning of April 2020 is when you two engaged on this deep dive into all things MCU. It has then spiraled out into covering, you know, the Spider-Verse and obviously coverage of WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, etc. But I mean, I think I speak on behalf of a lot of listeners when I say thank you for what you did. You kept a lot of us sane by being able to dive into these fictions that are like both uh reality removing yet reality magnifying and to get to hear you and josh just geek out about superheroes every week has been an absolute pleasure and it's been a pleasure for me to get to join in on the talk as well yeah i'm so glad that you know it's crazy to think it's been a year like you know a year ago when josh reached out and we started talking about this stuff to think that we would be here now and the community has grown the response has been so incredible um and I, you know, obviously want to thank every single person who listens to this podcast and has, has given us the views and, and allowed us to do this thing and to help us through this pandemic that they, we were in as well. Uh, a chance that I was talking to Josh every week. And now that I've, it's grown to include you and, and LT as well, um, has been a phenomenal journey. And thanks again to everyone for, 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 for letting this happen, for making this happen, for the support. And, you know, all going well. I hope that it doesn't look like it's going to slow down anytime soon. So this has been such a joy and I'm looking forward to, hey, hopefully some more to come. Yeah, I mean, listen, as you said, the MCU train is not stopping anytime soon. This past week, there was like a Loki trailer and a new announcement for She-Hulk and all these other properties as well. So like... That was a She-Hulk announcement? What happened yes, She-Hulk? I mean, oh if you God. want me to say so, uh, Renee Elise Goldsberry, who was Angelica Schuyler in Hamilton... Oh, I know who it is! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who is going to be in She-Hulk. I think it's an undisclosed role. Ooh, that's awesome. 
this cast is shaping up to be pretty good. Actually, in the Discord, we were uh, sort of like mapping out what the next couple of years of MCU look like, despite the fact that Black Widow has been pushed back a couple months again. And it looks between television and movies, the next two years are absolutely wild. Uh, so I'm, I'm so excited to have you and Josh here, whether it's recapping some of it, most of it, or all of it. There's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. And I hope you all are out there joining us along the ride as well. I mentioned the Discord. Uh, if you are, yeah, a what patron- is this Discord you speak of? Uh, uh, it's a Mike? mystical, magical organization. <laughs> if you are a patron of Poster Recaps at the $10 level, you get access to the patron Discord. It is a forum we are talking about so many things. Things pop off every Friday as people watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier and make their comments. We have a specific Falcon and the Winter Soldier channel now, as well as a Marvel Cinematic Universe channel where several people have been watching the MCU movies. Congratulations to Brooklyn Zed for watching all of the MCU films, I think in like an 18-day period. 18 days, I think it was. <laughs> Absolutely wild. That is dedication to a T. So yeah, we're, we're talking about all things there in addition to television, movies, and then in terms of extracurricular curricular stuff, there's the Wario Casino, there's uh, Brand Steel's going on with fictional characters, there's Dungeons and Dragons. You get, if you want to so sign up, you, you could possibly be uh, under Kevin Mahadeo's guidance as a dungeon, dungeon master in Dungeons and Dragons, which is a lot of fun. Also, if you're a patron of Post Show Recaps, you get access to several patron-exclusive podcasts, which includes Kevin's coverage of the Mighty Ducks Game Changers. Uh, Kevin, over on you know another side of Disney+, Plus, how has the series been so far? Because you're, what, like a third of the way through it? Yes, I, uh, we just did episode three, uh, aired this week. Um, I think it's of ten, so we are about a third of the way through. Um, and it's, it's, it's enjoyable. I'm so, I'm so excited to talk about it as we talk about it each week, uh, with Melissa, uh, Woodward, who is a member of the Discord. That's sort of how this all came about, uh, was through Discord conversation. And it's been a really fun show, and I'm really excited about where it's going. It's such a different vibe than Falcon and Winter Soldier, that's for sure. But the podcast itself is a blast, and I encourage you to join the Patreon. You don't have to be at the Discord level, but if you are a patron of Post Show Recaps, at even the $5 level, you have access to all of our bonus podcasts, including this Mighty Ducks coverage. Let me also put in a plug for the absent Latanya Starks. Uh, Latanya has joined her own team, uh, the Avengers of Top Chef over on Reality TV, where Hap Ups, she has joined the team covering Top Chef Season 18. It is her, Haley Strong, Kirk Clark, of course, Josh and I uh, were part of that team for the past few seasons as well. It is a really fun show and a really, really fun group recapping it. So if you want to hear more Latanya in your lives, I know that I do. You can check that out. And I'm sure she'll plug away at it when she's back with us next week. But in general, you can follow all of us on social media at Kev Mahadeo, at LK Starks, at a Mike Bloom type, at Post Show Recaps. And feel free to let us know your thoughts. This was a big, important episode for many reasons. So give us your thoughts about everything that's been going on with John Walker, with the Flag Smashers. Do you think Bucky might die by the end of this? What does a younger Avengers look like? Let us know all your thoughts. You can also email us, super at postshowrecaps.com. We have the great Sabrebro himself of Brendan Fitzpatrick organizing everything behind the scenes to make everything uh, nice and organized by the time we come out here with another podcast. Speaking of which, we're going to be back same time, same place next week talking episode 5 of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I cannot wait to see what happens. Thank you all so much for listening. We're going to be back next week. Until then, dismissed.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.